Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. A behind-the-scenes look at the White Sox as they prepare for the 2021 baseball season. Brought to you by Wintrust Bank, Mazda of Orland Park on ESPN 1000. Chicago's new home of the White Sox. Good morning and welcome into White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got you for the next hour or so. White Sox and Angels this afternoon. That game is on television. What a concept. That'll be great. We get to watch a good one and you'll hear some uh, pretty talented broadcasters call it as well. We'll get you some of those details. We'll get you caught up on some of the news and notes from the White Sox too. Lots to do on the show this morning. We are getting closer and closer to the start of the 2021 season. Could not be happier about that. And some of the position battles are starting to shape up. Some of the some of the things, some of the question marks around this White Sox team. Not that there were a whole ton of them or anything. I mean, it's you know, it's it's not like they're the Orioles or anything like that. Uh, some of the question marks though are coming into focus, and we're learning a bit more now that we are halfway through spring training. Your show, as always, you got questions about the White Sox. You got things you want to talk about regarding your team on the South Side. That's what we're here for. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. That's the phone number. You're going to want to keep it handy. Because if Twitter has taught me anything over the last 48 hours or so, the proposed rule changes at some of the minor league levels, we'll get to it in a bit. But the proposed rule changes at some of the minor league levels, like banning the shift, I said shift, have a lot of people uh, everywhere from somewhat concerned too worried that the sky is falling all around them. And I, I, I get it. Rule changes in baseball do that to, to people. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, and you should, at ESPN White Sox. You do that, and you can find the broadcast schedule uh, for all of our spring training games. Of course, we'll bring you all 162-plus once the season starts here on ESPN 1000. But you follow at ESPN White Sox, and our pinned tweet is the uh, broadcast schedule for us. Next game here on ESPN 1000 is the White Sox and Cubs Monday afternoon at 3 o'clock. Remember, we've got daylight savings coming up this weekend for no reason at all because we, we don't live in a 17th century agrarian society. It's it's modern times, and we can deal with not That's for another show. Anyway, it's at 3 o'clock. That game with Len and DJ and me. It's going to be a blast. Looking forward to that one. Today's game, though, the White Sox and Angels play this afternoon. That's Jimmy Lambert getting the start for the White Sox. I'm actually very interested to watch how that young man throws. Shohei Otani, likely you've heard of this man. Quality guy. Uh, really fun to watch. He's got the start there, too. And two unknowns in the broadcasting community are going to call the game on NBC Sports Chicago. Len Casper and this Steve Stone fella who you've likely heard quite a bit about, have the call. That's that's quite a combination. Looking forward to hearing those two gentlemen work as well. You're going to hear from Len a little bit later on in the show. You're going to hear from Darren Jackson a little bit later on in the show. That's a tease for you. Let you know how that's going to go in just a bit. We will also continue our AL Central preview series today. We talked with Rex Hudler, noted crazy person and baseball enthusiast, about the Royals and their 2021 season last week. This week, we continue with the Tigers, kind of building our way up to that Twins team that likely is going to be a challenge for the White Sox. It's a, it's a good ball club. Anyway, we'll talk with Matt Shepard 
of Fox Sports Detroit. He does the play-by-play for uh, for the Tigers. We'll check in on what that team is looking like, what it's been up to in spring. Um, you can watch us on Twitch as well, twitch.tv. Just search at ESPN, uh, rather search ESPN 1000. No at handle on that one. We're streaming. We're live. Hi, Tyler Aki is our producer this morning. Hi, Tyler. Good to see you. Um, here's where I want to start. I want to start with some of the news and notes of the day, right? And and this is actually a good thing. Mentioned to you that it's the White Sox and Angels today on NBC Sports Chicago. You can watch that game on television. When you watch, you will likely see for the very first time in an A game, as it were, in an official Cactus League game, Yasmani Grandal. It sounds like, according to Tony La Russa and the way reporters down there in Glendale are kind of reading things, Yasmani Grandal is expected to play this afternoon for the first time in Cactus League action. He will DH, and there's no set date yet for when Grandal will get behind the plate and catch again. Although it sounds like, you know, estimations and... Um, you know, and checkups are going well. The the twisted knee that he's been dealing with, kind of the tweak in the knee that he's been dealing with is healing fairly well. And it sounds like Grandal is going to catch a little bit ahead of the schedule. Whatever that schedule is for the White Sox, they haven't quite released it yet. But the fact that he's going to take some hacks uh, in a Cactus League game at DH is great. And really, you know, obviously the most important thing in spring training is that everybody, starters, everybody are healthy once you break camp. That's the most important thing. If you can't get those things, and you have to go through some sort of, I, I mean, organizationally, you have to go through some sort of uh, nicks, you know, that kind of thing, just a twist, uh, something sore, or something that, you know, might nag a little bit for a day or two. I guess you you would want that at a position where you want to see a battle for the backup, you know, I, I, I don't want to go galaxy brain on anybody, right? There's no, there's no need to do that here. But if Yasmani Grandal was going to have some sort of injury that keeps him out of a couple of weeks of spring training, that's kind of okay for Tony La Russa's purposes, I think, because you're trying to find your backup catcher to begin with. You want Jonathan Lucroy and Yermin Mercedes and Zach Collins and Sebi Zavala, just to name the guys who are on the 40-man and the prominent minor league invitee or the, the invite to camp in Lucroy. You want those guys to have a lot of playing time. You don't want to have to, I guess, throw them into B games to get some action and then see some reports or you know trust some coaches. Not that you can't trust coaches and that kind of thing, but now... Larusa has a chance to watch Lucroy work with the pitchers he's going to, you know, with big league pitchers. Same with Collins, same with Savala, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and Mercedes, too. So, I don't know. There's a little bit of a silver lining to that cloud of not having Esmani Grandal in game action up to this point. But he is expected to play today as the DH for the White Sox when they play the Angels. The Sox are still 1-8 and eight with three ties, or I should say are now 1-8 and eight with three ties. Another loss yesterday to the Texas Rangers. 3-2 to two was the final. I remain largely unconcerned with the win-loss record in spring training. I'm fine with some of the production and approach and uh, results, I guess, that individual hitters and pitchers have seen. So that's where I kind of rest my head. That's what I'm comfortable with. I think you, I, I think most people are. I, I know some players, and, and Tony LaRusa has been asked about the record, and Tony has said, and listen, you know, we, we'd like to win more games than we lose, regardless of when it is in the year. But 
I don't get overly concerned about wins and losses in spring training. I, I don't get concerned at all about wins and losses in spring training. I do think, though, that, that one of the more, maybe the most impressive White Sox so far through March has been Lucas Giolito. He threw again yesterday against the Rangers. It's his third outing. Four innings, two hits, one walk, five strikeouts. Came back out for that fourth inning and uh, looked all right. Did did have some contact and some traffic, but you want to work through some of those things as well. Liam Hendricks threw an inning yesterday. One inning, one strikeout. Nice to see the uh, the Aussie work there. He was. It was actually kind of funny. I was in some of the uh, in-game Zooms. Hendricks was the first guy to talk. And he was, you know, kind of like mock upset with Giolito. It was Giolito first, then Hendricks. And Hendricks, you know, shorter guy. Giolito's all of 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, whatever he is. And Hendricks was angry that the footfall of Giolito was digging out this, you know, massive trench on the mound. And all of Hendricks' warm-up throws apparently were completely ruined because he didn't notice it was there. And he had to do some uh, some groundskeeping before he started throwing, flipped the slider in, looked good. Garrett Crochet threw as well. So the White Sox yesterday went Gilito, Hendricks, and Crochet. All of them clean. Crochet with two strikeouts. One on a breaking ball that looked really good. Gilito uh, got a left-hander with a slide up, I think, a uh, slider as well. Um, so things looked good for those starters. And Gilito spoke uh, technically during that game, but after he had worked. And I, I thought there were two things that, that he mentioned that were pretty interesting that I wanted to bring to you uh, this morning. Obviously, Lucas Giolito has gone through quite a bit in his brief Major League career, right? I mean, going from being quite literally the worst starter in the American League to a top six Cy Young vote getter is an incredible transformation. On On one hand, maybe you can list for me pitchers in the modern era that have gone through that kind of transformation, right? I mean, Mike Maroth did not turn around and have a great season in 04. It's just, that doesn't happen. So Giolito was asked, and you'll, you'll hear Cheryl Ray Stout ask a question in the middle of this, about the difference in his preparation, his mindset, his understanding of himself, now that he has both had this, this success and is pushing for an even greater level of achievement in 21. You know, I, I put in a lot of work to build the muscle memory to the point where I, I go out in the game and I don't have any doubts or questions about about throwing strikes or being competitive. Um, you know, today was a good example. My, my pregame bullpen, I'm all over the place. I have no feel for my body. But, you know, I have that that feeling within that it doesn't matter. You know, when, when it comes time to, to get on that game mound and take the ball, I know what I need to do to be successful. Uh, I, I put in the preparation. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, you know, the difference from a few years ago to now is I, I'm less worried about the external uh, and, and more work and more focus on everything I need to do to prepare to the point where I, I know I'm ready to go, uh, no matter how I'm feeling. Does that help clear your mind that you have that? you know, that you're just concentrating on that. You don't have other things going on. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, just, just the constant work, being very focused on the process to success rather than the results. It, it really puts me into a more relaxed state where I can go and do what I do freely as opposed to, like, trying to make things happen. 
I just think that the transformation of Lucas Giolito is going to be one of the stories we tell a lot about this era of, of White Sox baseball, you know. Um, he's under control, team control for a little while. He's the ace of the staff. Tony Larusa has not said who his opening day starter will be yet. Raise your hand. I mean, don't do this if you're driving, but raise your hand if you think it's going to be Lucas Giolito. Everyone? Everyone? Yeah, I, of course it's going to be Lucas. And, and he knows it too. I just haven't named him yet. We'll get there. Um, more battles, too, going on in camp than just the backup catcher spot. But Giolito did work with Zach Collins yesterday and had some pretty good things to say about him. Here's the scouting report from Giolito on one of the guys in a battle for the backup to Yasmani Grandal. It was great. Uh, communication was very solid. You know, Zach uh, came up to me before we even left to come out here to, to surprise uh, to ask me about, you know, what am I working on? What's my game plan? You know, how are we going to attack these guys today? Uh, that's what I like to see from a young catcher. And um, he did a great job back there, pitch calling, framing. Uh, he might have he stolen me some, uh, some strikes on, on the lower part of the plate. Uh, he, he was very, very solid back there today. So, you know, just got to keep it up, keep, keep building these relationships, uh, you know, learn, learn these catchers, have them learn me, and, and we'll be good to go. So if I had to guess at this point, and this is just me guessing, but I, I would guess that Jonathan Lucroy is the guy that's going to win the backup spot. That would, I believe, necessitate a change in the 40-man roster, though we're a long way out from talking about how one move affects the 40-man, right? There's a lot of changes to be made to all kinds of things in, in spring training yet before we're talking about how the 40-man's really going to look once the season starts. Um, but nice to know Zach Collins is working like that. I think we mentioned in on last week's show, maybe it was two weeks ago, they're kind of blurring together a little bit now, but we did have the announcement that AAA is going to start about a month after the regular season starts in Major League Baseball. We are going to have an alternate site. We do have the taxi squad as well. So there are a bunch of different players for some of the guys who don't make the top 26 to be, but none of them are, none of them are going to be... I don't know, competitive baseball as we know it, right? I mean, it was, it, it'll be a little bit like last season where you'll you'll have a taxi squad that won't get regular game reps and will just have to face the guys they're traveling with, that kind of thing. I, difficult to stay sharp and, and prove anything to anybody on that roster, that five-man roster, as it were. Uh, and then you've got an alternate site, which, you know, some teams felt, validated some of the things they were able to uh, ascertain about their players. Some teams felt they were able to have some top prospects, some other players work on some things and get that done. Um, a, a lot of people thought, yeah, this is as good as we can get. We should do this. It's a pandemic after all. So some interesting developments there. Uh, there's one more roster battle that I want to get to, and then there are some rules changes coming to the minor league levels this season. That could be a portend of things to come for Major League Baseball. It is possible that we are headed toward banning the infield shift. I know it stirs up some emotion in you. 312-332-3776. Going to hear from you on that. You'll hear from me on that. You'll hear from Len Casper and Darren Jackson as well. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. A behind-the-scenes look at the White Sox as they prepare for the 2021 baseball season. Hey, Chicago, the White Sox are back. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. All right. 
This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. We will continue, are continuing, our tour around the AL Central. Matt Shepard, Fox Sports Detroit, is going to join us at 9.35. We're going to talk about the Tigers as we eye up the White Sox competition in 2021. Big news in baseball. Really, the biggest story going right now is that Major League Baseball, which now controls minor league baseball in a way that it didn't quite before. I I won't get into necessarily specifics, but it's streamlined now some, and they make decisions for minor league baseball the way that they uh, hadn't really done that before. They're changing the rules uh, in, in all of the levels, but not all at once. Each level, it seems, is going to get its own rule change so that Major League Baseball can kind of estimate what the rule change did to the game, what kind of effects and unintended effects happened because of them. In single A, high A specifically, pitchers are going to be required to disengage the rubber prior to throwing to any base with a penalty of a balk in the event the pitcher fails to comply. In low A, if there's more one or more runner on base, pitchers can only throw a maximum of two pickoffs or make two step-offs per plate appearance. If you do it a third time and get the runner, that's cool. If you don't, it's a balk. In low A West, you've got more on-field timers that are going to force the timers between delivery of pitches. I believe it's going down to 15 seconds from 21 or 22, I want to say. Might be wrong on that one. Apologize. Triple A is going to see the lightest change, I think. The size of the bases are going to increase from 15 inches to 18 inches square. I like that change quite a bit. It's first and foremost, it is likely safer and therefore better. Um, it's going to change the base paths just a little tiny bit. But when you look at the, the, the closeness of getting in on a stolen base and stuff like that, I shoot, you need every inch you can get, I think, when it comes to, when it comes to stealing bases these days. Double A is the big one. And this is where you're hearing, reading, tweeting about the, ban of defensive shifts it's going to start like this the defensive team must have a minimum of four players on the infield each of whom must have both feet completely in front of the outer boundary of the infield dirt infielders essentially must be on the infield they reserve the right double a or mlb does to change that rule some even then if in the second half of the season they decide to They're going to mandate that there's two guys on one side of second base and two guys on the other side of second base, including the fact that they must be on the field. I don't like banning the shift, and i got a lot of reasons as to why. We'll get to those, I think, as we wrap up the show. But I wanted to bring you the opinions of two very notable baseball minds. This was big news. So I figured, hey, we'd bring you behind the scenes some a little bit. There's a group chat, there's a group text for the station and we phone call here on the white Sox network so i called len hello len it's uh connor what's up hey how you doing connor not bad uh did you see this uh the rules change thing that's popping up everywhere i did I'm, i'm intrigued i'm intrigued by a lot of it yeah I I like that we're spreading out the rules changes over a bunch of different levels so that we've got, like, individual control measures. Like, I'm I'm at least happy with that. You know what I mean? For sure. I uh, particularly am intrigued by a couple things. The bigger bases, which theoretically could lead to some more stolen base attempts. I dig that. 
with the limits on uh, pickoffs, and then not necessarily banning the shift or or keeping two uh, players on each side of the bag, but I think the idea of having the infielders have uh, you know both feet in the dirt or closer is really intriguing because you know if you're an infielder you should be on the infield, if you're an outfielder you should be in the outfield, and I like that concept that there's still going to always be space for a guy to find room. <laughs> over the infielder and in front of the outfielder, and I think that's right. something that I'm very intrigued by. So this is where I'm struggling. Banning the shift is designed to increase offense, but the problem is offense is decreasing necessarily because of the shift. It's decreasing because of so many strikeouts in the game. You ban the shift, you're still going to have the strikeouts, right? Right. I, I, just, I, also, I, I think some of it is like an, a symmetrical sensibility that we have about the game and mm-hmm. that, you know, line drives up the middle or, um, you know, a hard hit ball that typically would drop into right is now caught by a second baseman standing 45 feet uh, in the grass. And I think that's where, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm fine with shifting and I'm fine with what, what, what teams want to do to take away hits, but I would also be fine with kind of the, conceptually the idea of when the pitch is delivered, you have to have your feet on the dirt, and then you can move wherever you want. I'd be fine with at least seeing what that looks like. I read you. Uh, thanks for the time, man. Appreciate it. Uh, All right. you got the, you and Stoney tomorrow, right? Yeah, it's going to be fun. Can't wait. All right. Have fun. Enjoy it. Tell Stoney I said hi. Sounds good. Thanks. So I figured I, I just wanted to call Len, see what he was thinking about. I, we like to bring you behind the scenes here on White Sox Weekly as best we can. Len's actually for banning the shift, which I find interesting. He makes a really good point about there being space behind infielders and in front of outfielders, though. I, I hadn't really considered that when I yelling and screaming and ranting on Twitter about banning the shift. Called DJ, though, and you get a different situation. Hello? DJ, Connor, how are you, then? Hey, Connor, doing well. How about yourself? Ah, good. Just checking in. I was talking to Len about the uh, you see the the proposed rule changes for major or for the minor leagues. I I needed to call and ask what you thought about the hypothetical idea of banning the shift. Are you in on this or out? Um, I'm I'm out. Um, I I don't like the idea of banning something. I I honestly believe that as as a professional, you you're taught to go ahead and beat the opponent. And if they have come up with the plan of putting a shift on you, it's your job to say, oh, that's going to be counterproductive. This is because I'm hitting it the other direction now. So you force them back. And it actually is going to make you better because you're teaching yourself how to make the proper adjustments to beat the opponent. See, I'm with you. I just – the idea of putting more offense in the game, all st- at least for me, all stems back to the idea of there being so much velocity from pitchers and going the opposite way, as I'm told, you'd know it better than I would, going the opposite way on 98 in on your hands is very difficult. <laughs> it is very difficult. The thing is to me, okay, I- I'm going to use Jim Tomey as an example. Jim Tomey, they put a shift on him, and they tried to convince him, we're going to pitch you in, you're gonna, we're going to pitch you down and in, you're going to hit the ball on the ground right into the shift, you're going to keep trying to pull the ball, pull the ball. Well, psychologically it messes with you because you know, this is going to be tough. There's more guys right where they're pitching you and right where you're probably going to hit it. Well, guess what? There's two things that can take place. They have to be perfect with their location, number one, right on the inside corner for you to swing at it, or they're going to miss inside because missing over the plate means he does hit the home run. So you're going to miss on the corner, and they're going to hit, you're going to hit into that, that shift they have on, or you now say, I'm taking it because it's not a strike. So 
It's all about precision by the opponent first, and if they make a mistake, you don't have to buy into it. I mean, they have to make the right pitch for you to hit into that shift in the first place. You sold me. I appreciate it. DJ, we'll talk to you Monday, all right? (laughs) All right, Connor. Thanks, bud. That's Darren Jackson. You will hear from him on Monday. We've got the uh, White Sox and the Cubs at 3 o'clock here on ESPN 1000. We will get back into the defensive shift and that idea. We will also get you up to date on the position battle, I guess, on the... Tony hates it when I say back half of the rotation. So I'll just say between Reynaldo Lopez and Carlos Rodon. Coming up next, though, Matt Shepard, Fox Sports Detroit, is going to join us as the AL Central preview series continues. We'll check in on the Tigers and what kind of competition they're going to offer the White Sox in 21. That's next, ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. The new home of the White Sox. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. This is White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Got you up until 10 o'clock. We are continuing the AL Central preview series, seeing who the White Sox will face. Of course, you know the names of the teams. I mean, we're, we've actually we're back to normal there. It's at AL Central, and the rest of travel baseball is all here for us. Thank goodness, fans will be in stands in a lot of places, so it'll feel close to normal. Matt Shepard calls games for the Tigers on Fox Sports Detroit. He joins us now, and let's talk about the Tigers. Matt, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate you coming on. Connor, great to be with you. Hope you and your family are well. Uh, we're we're hanging in. I appreciate it. Hope the same to yours. I'm I'm looking at the Tigers in 2020, and here they are, not expected to do a whole lot for for all that 2020 was, right? And they came out of the gate and won some ball games. I I wonder what that has done for both the expectations uh, as a team and individually for players for 2021. Yeah, it's a good question, but there there's so many different players now. Yeah. Uh, Robbie Grossman wasn't with this team. Uh, Nomar Mazzara was with you guys, um, right? So he wasn't with this team. And Jose Urania, um, Julio Tehran, uh, you get a, Jonathan Scope back and, and completely healthy, which is really helpful. Wilson Ramos. So there's a lot of changeover, and obviously with the new coaching staff, there's big-time changeover. I think what it did more than anything, Connor, though, is we got a chance to see some of Detroit's younger players. Now, they didn't have an Eloy Jimenez or Luis Robert-type season, but Isak Paredes gave us a glimpse into what Detroit has from one of the position player of needs that they've been lacking for a long time. Casey Mize, Tarek Skubu got their major league feet wet, and now the expectations can rise a little bit more with some of those young guys uh, in the middle of everything. What kind of camp has A.J. Hinch run so far? What are the what are the upsides and what are some of the concerns? A.J. has talked about, I think fairly honestly, what his past with the Astros has included and what his next you know, kind of career phase looks like with the Tigers, too. I've been impressed with how he's spoken about it, at least. Likewise. I'll be honest with you, Connor. I've been covering Detroit and national sports for, for 25 years. I don't know if I've come across a better communicator from a coach or a managerial standpoint. He's that good. Um, I think that has helped his uh, ability to communicate and put together, I think, a hell of a baseball staff. I mean, when you look at George Lombard, who's a bench coach, and he'll be a manager soon. He's coming off a World Series ring with the Dodgers. Chip Hale won a World Series with the Nats in 2019. He's the third base coach. Uh, Scott Coolball, you guys know, because he was in Chicago and he's been in Baltimore, and he's got a really good philosophy. And then to dip into the University of Michigan, Chris Fetter, 
really intelligent, analytical driven, but very personal pitching coaches help. So I think all those are big for Detroit. And then as far as, you know, you're looking at what this, this message has been, it's about competition. Uh, He's not married to anybody, Connor. He doesn't have to keep anybody. There are only two guys on this Tigers team who have a contract past this season, Miguel Cabrera and Robbie Grossman, who they signed to a two year, uh, $10 million contract and got him away from Oakland. So there's plenty of competition. Who's going to help this team win today are the guys he wants on that 26-man roster. That has been a theme, forced everyone to focus, play more aggressive, and be better at what they do. How does, talking with Matt Shepard, he calls games uh, on Fox Sports Detroit for the Detroit Tigers. Matt, how, how does A.J. Hinch, how do the Tigers as an entity converse about Miguel Cabrera at this point in his career. We know what the contract situation is, but this is still a, you know, this is this is potentially a difficult thing to navigate over the next handful of seasons. If he's not any good, but he can still hit. And I think what A.J. hit now, is he going to be the Miguel Cabrera of a triple crown season? No, he's not. And I don't think anybody logically would expect that. But what A.J. Hinch has done is said, hey, listen, we're going to have you play a little first base. And and that has reinvigorated Miguel Cabrera's mindset a little bit. So you'll probably see him play first base a couple of times a week. I mean, every player wants to be a complete player. Not many people want to just say, hey, you know what, I'm good with DHing, especially if you feel like you can still play the field. There's not that many uh, guys who, you know, just Nelson Cruz's of the world who just want to say, you know what, I'm good with my four at bat. Yeah. Miguel Cabrera likes to feel engaged, right? So that was a big thing, reaching out and making sure that he can still play first base, and, and he has done that a little bit. The other thing is, I mean, let's look at the numbers, right? We know he's a Hall of Famer. If you and I had Hall of Fame votes, we'd vote for him for sure. But oh, he's got a chance to do something nobody in the history of baseball has ever done, and that is collect your 500th homer, and he's 13 shy, and his 3,000th career hit, and he's 134 hits shy, the first player to ever do that in the same season. So you build that up, you make that part of your storyline as a team, while at the same time having one of the great players of all time in your lineup and having him teach guys and help them learn the way of not just Major League Baseball life, but do some things that are really important for the way they go about their business. I'll give you an example. How A.J. Hinch puts his hitting groups together is pretty important. Miguel Cabrera has a good relationship with Jamer Candelario and a guy like Willie Castro. Those two young guys suddenly are learning how to approach the game before the game begins from Miguel Cabrera, and that's highly beneficial to any young player moving forward. Casey Mize is likely to be a big part of this Tigers team in 22, 23, and, and so forth and so on. Uh, White Sox fans saw Casey Mize quite a bit, actually. What's yeah. the step for Mize cutting everything, cutting all the numbers in half in 2021, so to speak? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. It's not just Casey Mize, it's Tarek Skubal, and then they have a really good, promising young player by the name of Matt Manning in their farm system. There's another guy by the name of Joey Wentz who I think is going to be a, a solid starter uh, in, in in this franchise for years to come. And then some other guys out of the bullpen who throw pretty hard, guys like Alex Lang, for example. But, um, you know, Casey Mize, when you're 1-1, Spencer Torkelson, same thing. When you're 1-1, there is that added pressure. Don't kid yourself. But Mize has 
a great mental makeup. He can it he can handle that type of let's use the word pressure, even though we know that's very subjective um, because these guys have had to deal with pressure for a long time. You know, it's it's just controlling his pitching and it's throwing more strikes. Quite honestly, he was always a strike thrower at Auburn. Didn't walk many guys at all. But it's a different scenario here. When you're facing a guy like Carlos Santana, it's going to be a heck of a challenge to face him because he's got such a good eye and because so many of these major league players can follow things off. So it's throwing strikes, getting ahead of hitters, and then being able to put them away. And that doesn't always mean striking them out. It just means being able to put them away with soft contact somewhere at uh, you know one of your infielders or one of your outfielders, so I think that's the learning lesson that he's going through. You know, every GM faces a question at the start of camp. You know, what are your expectations for the year? And then, like seven minutes later, they get asked. You know, at the deadline, what are you thinking about? Even though it's like right. February or March when they have this press conference, how do I'm still going to lean on the ridiculous though? How do you see the Tigers kind of? I don't know, getting their heads around what a trade deadline looks like in 21 for them. Well, it, it's we got to understand this is, I think, the most competitive division in you could argue baseball, um, and at least we'll be there. But I, I think in the American League for sure. Um, you know, Chicago's really talented, really good. Minnesota's still really good. You can't overlook what the Twins are about to do, especially you know when they get a shortstop and, and the the type of shortstop they got and move Polanco over second base. Mm. Uh, Cleveland with their pitching is is always going to be a threat, right? So, and then Kansas City made some really big improvements, too. Love the Andrew Benintendi pickup that the Kansas City has. Carlos Santana lengthens their lineup a little bit by giving them some of those quality at-bats that we were talking about before, and they've added to their pitching, too. So, you know, A.J. Hinch's message has been this, Connor. It's, let's win today. You know, let's, let's the media always likes to talk about, oh, you got to win the series, and I do it, right? And uh, well, what are you going to do now that you're in a three-game slide? He's just talking about trying to win day by day. And I know that may seem too simplistic to some people, but it's kind of the, the route you have to take with a team that doesn't have those high expectations. Who says we can't go out and beat this team with this pitcher? Look at how competitive they were against three of the best pitchers Cincinnati had to offer a year ago and beating the Reds as, as often as they did. Um, so uh, I, I think that's kind of where they're looking. Uh, as far as the, you know, the trade deadline, I, I have absolutely no idea um, how Detroit would approach something like that until you find out the talent that you have and how that talent is performing and what other teams need to Matt, we're trying to wrap this series with everybody kind of with the same question. When you look at the White Sox and how they've set things up for 21, what strikes you most? Longevity for them. How good they're going to be for an extended period of time if they stay healthy. I, I don't see a weak spot really on their team. I really like their starting pitching. Um, you know, obviously getting Hendricks at the back end of the bullpen has been huge. Um, obviously, Grandal still solid defensive catcher. Where's the weakness for the Chicago White Sox? I mean, I, I, I've always liked Nick Madrigal. I don't know if he's going to be your starting second baseman. If he's not and somebody beats him out, they got to be a pretty damn good player, hmm. right? I mean, I, I just I don't see a whole lot of weakness for that team. Um, I'm not going to lie. I was surprised that, that Tony LaRusse is on the bench. I thought that's where A.J. Hinch was headed. When the White Sox got Tony LaRusse, I was giggling. I was clapping because I knew Detroit would then have a really good opportunity to get who I thought was the best manager out there, A.J. Hinch. So I just don't see a lot of weakness for Chicago. 
and I see them with such a good, young, solid core for years to come, they are the team to beat for an extended period of time in the division, I think. Matt, really appreciate the time. Great talking with you, and uh, we'll check in during the season. Connor, tell Len Casper we said hello. You guys got a good one there. Yeah, he's uh, pretty darn good at what he does. So are you, Matt. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, bud. All right, that's Matt Shepard. Calls games on Fox Sports Detroit for the Detroit Tigers. Fun conversation there. And, I, I you know, it's interesting because I, that Tigers team and that Royals team to me are, are both, you know, in the not there yet, but can't take them lightly for three straight days in a season. I, I, I get that. I get what Matt's talking about there. And remember now, you know, we, we asked Rex Hudler, we asked Matt, Matt Shepard what they thought of the White Sox, you know, heading into 21. Hudler's answer was used the word dynasty. And Matt Shepard just used the word longevity. That's been the focus of Rick Hahn since the rebuild started, since Chris Sale and Jose Quintana got traded. And it's interesting that some pretty smart guys around the league are looking at this team and you know, kind of stating that they have put together something that can last and be dynastic, in Rex Hudler's words, which are always fun. We'll get back to the minor league changes in a bit. Uh, keep you updated on the battle between Ronaldo Lopez and Carlos Rodon when we return. 312-332-3776. Your phone calls always welcome. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. The South Sox have a new home. This is White Sox Weekly. A behind-the-scenes look at the White Sox as they prepare for the 2021 baseball season. White Sox Weekly. ESPN 1000. Closing it up here on White Sox Weekly. Still some time for you. Always time for you here on White Sox Weekly. 312-332-3776. We are going to talk about Carlos Rodon versus uh, Reynaldo Lopez in a second. We're going to talk a bit about banning the shift, as it were. You want to get on either of those two, you can. Ron's on the south side, though. What's up, Ron? Hey, good morning, Connie. Hey, we're about to have some fun on the south side. Yes, we are. We're about to have some fun. Always enjoy you. Um, real quick, um, the whole thing with uh, Rodon and Lopez, yeah. I think it makes it even more important to see how Dylan Cease, you know, turns out. Because uh, those guys are, you know, vying for the fifth spot. But, I, I and, you know, we need to see where he's at. Uh, last year, he wasn't able to take the ball, you know, for the third game, so so far, and we and we know he's young and he's still developed. But I think um, kind of this going to be real important that he gets off to a, uh, a a good start. And and lastly, not even just for this this season. You know, this is a guy you know that hopefully in the future, you know, maybe he could fall to maybe be a number two or number three. But I'm just looking forward to see where he's at with his development. So. Thank you, Con. Have a good day. Ron, appreciate you, man. Don't be a stranger. I, I'm with you. I, I have mentioned, I think, when I first started doing White Sox Weekly about two months ago, that I, it's going to be really difficult for me to you know, hang up on Dylan Cease, as it were. And I don't think the White Sox are anywhere close to that. I know some fans are, I suppose. And you know, maybe the horizon of what his career can look like has altered some. Certainly, you look at some projection systems, and um, you know the, the the numbers that he's put up have changed what that prospect status or prospect pedigree would have told you he could do. 
I I think this season is a very big one for Dylan Cease. I think getting a new pitching coach and kind of some new ideas and um, you know really kind of learning that some of the things that he did last season, some of the fastballs he was throwing that just stayed on barrels and allowed for foul balls and kept him in and didn't get strikeouts um, and kept him in games too long needs to change. And that has been the focus for him. Um, shoot, there's a couple of catchers now, Grandal and, and Lucroy both have talked about how this is going to be a big season for Dylan Cease. Yasmani Grandal laid out a like a senior thesis about two weeks ago about how if Dylan does this, that, and the other thing, maybe we'll bring that back for you, White Sox Weekly, next week. If Dylan does this, that, and the other thing, he can see him getting Cy Young votes kind of stuff. That is, I'm just telling you what Grandal said, that's the kind of stuff, that's the kind of arsenal, that's the kind of weapon that Dylan Cease can be, that, that I've seen him to be on backfields, that I've heard coaches talk about him with. Um, I, I, I really do think that while the White Sox have a top three that rivals most in baseball, in Chilito and Lynn and Keuchel, the, I guess, consistency of Dylan Cease is as big a deal or should be as big a deal as most other things on this team. It's right up there. There's still going to be another guy in that rotation, however, and it may not be the, the one guy the entire time. There are very few teams that go, you know, five starters throughout the entirety and don't change that rotation around, whether it be by injury or design or what have you. But Renato Lopez and Carlos Rodon are fighting for that final spot in the rotation. It's been a very um, amiable fight, I guess. Rodon ca- characterized their relationship as, as brothers. They're very, very close. We talked about this yesterday with reporters. Um, Lopez, you'll remember has some new mechanics that are designed to harness command some. Rodon does too, but to a lesser degree. Ethan Katz and Carlos Rodon are working to try and limit the cross-firing that happens, you know, stepping across his body and then throwing back over that front foot. They're trying to change that quite a bit. Rodon threw two scoreless on Thursday. He sat 93-94. Two two good innings. You know, two, two good innings. And I think a lot of people who were there in Glendale have kind of, you know, looked at this battle between the two of them and said it's Rodon's to lose and Lopez's to prove, but that's just getting a sense of where things are. And certainly Tony La Russa hasn't tipped his hand to anything yet. Did say, though, that the decision's coming up fairly soon. About halfway through spring training, feels about right. Maybe a week or so. I don't know, I'm guessing there. Lopez got hit around in five runs, three innings. Back-to-back homers, double off the wall, and then a warning track shot. It was a little rough there. Remember, though, and, and you should go and, I mean, you should follow uh, the White Sox on Twitter, but if you, if you don't, go look. There was a video they posted of Ethan Cass and Ronaldo Lopez working in a bullpen session together, and I thought about bringing it back, but it's very, very visual. Um, a lot of, you know, positive, re, uh, positive reinforcement and, and whatnot from Katz to Lopez. But you notice that in this session... Lopez is bringing that curveball that was very good for him with the Nationals back into the arsenal. Not something he's thrown a lot while he's been a White Sox. That breaking pitch is getting back into the mix. That will be important for Lopez. And I think that's a little bit of an X factor for him, whether he used out of the rotation or out of the bullpen in 2021. Could be a combination of both for both pitchers. Really good. 
That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Shoot, that hour goes fast. Remember, we've got the broadcast for you on Monday, 3 o'clock. It's the Cubs and the White Sox here on ESPN 1000. Len and DJ will have the call. Len and Steve Stone have the call on NBC Sports Chicago this afternoon. The hockey show is next. Pat Boyle, Brian Hanley, and their guest Mark Lazarus at 1030. I'm Connor. Thanks to Tyler, our producer, Matt Shepard, our guest. We'll be back for White Sox Weekly next Saturday on ESPN 1000.